Welcome to Gu Dao Jingxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into the ancient texts of Dao De Jing and uncover its timeless wisdom and discuss how to live it in today's chaotic world. I'm David Wang, executive coach and consultant. I'm joined by my co-host Ian Felton, a practicing psychotherapist and coder. Good morning, Ian. Morning, David. Good to see you. Good to see you too. We've been talking about Chapter sixty-five.、Uh, in this chapter,、uh, Lao Tzu,、uh, you know, advised、uh, people,、uh, especially leaders,、uh, to. Uh, help people to become very simple instead of being cunning and、uh, crafty. We, we we both know, you know, we just we talked about that. We both know that Lao Tzu is not、uh, against the knowing,、uh, but he does think there's a danger to,、uh, you know, use knowledge selfishly,、uh, selfishly and uh, excessively, uh, you know. Uh, so let's talk about it. I, I think this time, perhaps we can reflect upon our personal experience、mm-hmm. of、uh, attaining knowledge. You know how how we、uh, do our learning in you know throughout our life. That sounds great. Yeah, I have actually I have a question for you.、Uh, now we have all these years of living and and life experiences. Uh, if you look back,、uh, are there certain areas of knowledge you wish you had,、uh, you know, acquired or attained earlier that you think is extremely valuable from a, you know, a living a perspective? For me, I think that's it's a pretty easy question, and. You know, today I'm a practicing psychotherapist, and、mm-hmm. I've I've made this change.、Um, you know, halfway through my my career, I would say I had already had、um, a successful software career,、mm-hmm. and I was kind of in this place where I could either keep Doing what I was doing, or maybe go into another role that maybe was more not necessarily on the engineering side, but maybe more in you know a high, higher role, and and that was not appealing to me. And what I ended up deciding to do after、um, I had been doing my own psychotherapy and found that really. Rewarding, and my therapist kind of just casually mentioned to me, "Would you ever consider being a therapist? I think you'd be really good at it." And、mm-hmm. it was just kind of a casual remark, but like I never imagined myself doing that, and didn't really know much about what it would take to be one or what it、mm-hmm. entailed. But it really stuck with me, and so. I went and looked up what is being a therapist all about, and when I realized that studying psychology is is not just studying these like 
counseling skills, but it's actually really getting into philosophy, mm -hmm. cogn cognitive science, biology, evolution, um, all kinds of things that I found vastly fascinating, but didn't mm -hmm. really understand that 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 actually all goes into being a psychotherapist or at least the kind of psychotherapist that I wanted to be. So does, uh, you're saying that, uh, uh, you know, being a, a psychotherapist is essentially having a platform, but from that platform, from that window, uh, actually you can see, uh, you know, human conditions, human nature, you know, all the other disciplines like philosophy uh, has uh, been dealing with uh, throughout centuries. Yeah, it was a, a beautiful awakening to me that, that when, and it's something that I'm still learning, mm -hmm. but, but the, um, also the modern way of doing therapy for, for many therapists and, and all, almost all fields, um, or branches of, of psychology, there's been what's been called the relational turn. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that we've gone from a conceptualization of psychology as being something that happens inside the individual mm -hmm. to something that happens in relation to each other in the world. Mm, that's a very interesting uh, perspective. It, it is, and it's changed quite a lot, not just for psychology, but my own studying of, of psychology and, and when I kind of recognize this relational turn, it shows up in things like I'm going to throw around some kind of bigger um, mm. words and I'm not going to get into the details, but inactive cognitive science, which is a particular type of cognitive science, mm -hmm. it, it shows up in relational psychoanalytic psychotherapy gestalt relational gestalt therapy mm -hmm. um and contextual behavioral science and so basically it's it's really come into every branch of of psychology and this idea that it, it's it's not super helpful thinking about people as these like separate individual creatures mm -hmm. but, but rather as organisms that relate to other people and to our environment and what happens in those relational spaces. Mm, and so it, mm. Mm -hmm. it, it sounds to me like, uh, you know, in Tao Te Ching, we're talking about to be one with Tao, Tao yeah. in, a, in a broad sense. Exactly. Right? Uh, human connections, as well as, you know, our connections with the, the universe. A hundred percent. And, and that's the thing that, is beautiful about this is that it aligns so much with that an Eastern philosophical view of the world where we're not separate from everything going around us. We're actually part of, of everything. And, mm -hmm. and it, it aligns so well with Taoism. Um, a lot of the Gestalt psychotherapy materials um, lean on Taoism. I mean, even Carl Jung, who was more of a, you know, he comes from a, a classical psychoanalytic tradition, but yes, I mean, he was in love with Tao Te Ching as, as well. And so it, it's always kind of been there, but now it's, it's really central. And, and this is the type of knowledge that I wish that I had 
you know, from a very early age, I mean, one, just even how I grew up, there was a deprivation mm -hmm. of, of, of human relationships. It was just, you know, kind of like raised by wolves kind of thing. And, um, so even just kind of basic relational, um, relational skills weren't something that I knew about. And so it wasn't until much later in my life that I felt like I really started getting into what it feels like to have that kind of a worldview and engage with things from I that. See. And, and I wish I would have had that knowledge very early on, you know, as a teenager, as a young adult, I think life, life is much more meaningful when you think about you in relationship to everything else around you and just, just me. I see. Uh, you know, talking about, uh, you know, when we were young, uh, we were taught by, you know, our parents how to behave in social settings, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes I feel um, it was kind of a taught to us without getting into the lots of uh, whys. I wish, uh, you know, it's just not an, an etiquette, right? Or kind of a, a social rules or protocols. I feel as a young person, I was reactive to that because, you know, I want to be free as well. Mm. So now, actually, I feel like having a, a deeper appreciation uh, for uh, the interconnectivity, uh, you know, with uh, the rest of the world, I think that gives meaning to all these rules. Sometimes I wish... Uh, these, uh, you know, etiquettes, good manners uh, were taught in a different way mm -hmm. so that we knew so that we knew uh, what we were doing. Did you yeah. feel some to extend some that way? I feel like in school or uh, I think all those are, I mean, good things. There's wisdom in it. Mm -hmm. But uh, it doesn't seem to me at that time, you know, a lot of that discussion was going on so that you know, acting that way out of wisdom is just a natural way. It feels like it's kind of imposed, indoctrinated from the outside. Yeah, I, th I think that's it exactly, that when it sort of has this authoritarian bent to it of just like, this is how you act, that we're, our, our teachers are missing out on an important opportunity, which is the critical thing that we're doing, we want to teach empathy. We, we're mm -hmm. we're relational creatures. We're social creatures, mm -hmm. and it's teaching empathy that makes society better, that makes life better for human beings. Mm -hmm. And when there's a lack of empathy, that's when life sucks. Like when people mm -hmm. just quit giving a darn about each other, mm -hmm. that's when life really starts to suck. And we see it in this country where like so many people don't have empathy for people with other political views and just how, how much extra pain that causes. And so, yes, I wish that, that people would teach, why do you act this way? And mm -hmm. well, here's why, because, you know, when, when you're talking on your cell phone at a restaurant really loudly, that interrupts the experience that other people are having and maybe they're celebrating 
something very important that day, or, or maybe the person that they're having dinner with flew a very far distance and they're only going to get to see each other for this one mm-hmm. hour. And this is a very special moment for them. And if you're, you know, talking loudly over their conversation, you know, they're missing out on this very special experience. And, and so teaching empathy that way, that's when we start. I mean, that's what we're doing. We want to teach empathy. We want to teach people to consider mm. that other people are in vastly different situations and we never really know what situation we're in. And so the more sensitive we can be to respecting that, which is just another form of, of empathy, respect mm-hmm. is, em- is empathy. Yes. The better our society will 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 feel to be in. Because imagine if I'm being empathetic to everyone else around me and everyone around me is being empathetic to me, I mean, how, how wonderful that would feel. Exactly, exactly. It's interesting you mentioned this keyword empathy because that has been uh, talked a lot, uh, let's say, uh, in different uh, areas of life, including the working world. Uh, you know, I, you know, I being, uh, uh, I being an executive coach and a consultant, uh, increasingly, I've seen that uh, leaders, uh, a lot of the leaders, they, they need to learn the art of empathy in order to really connect, uh, you know, with other people. Oh. Uh, yes. Uh, I, yeah, we can certainly delve into that uh, aspect. But mm-hmm. before we do, uh, I do want to share uh and experience uh, mm. uh, from a cultural perspective. Great. Uh, you know, uh, for example, in China, uh, very early on, you know, as a part of the empathy, uh, you're supposed to listen in social settings. So very early on, when I was a child, child, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, my parents, all my teachers, my teachers um, taught me to, like taught me to, speak less and uh, listen more, right? As a part of, you know, your good habits mm. uh, in social settings. Um, I struggled a little bit uh, during that, uh, in that setting. And also I pivoted uh, to another uh, side when I came to this country. Uh, when I say that uh, in the, uh, let's say in the China's environment, I sometimes find you know, listening, uh, we, we were taught about the behavior and the importance of listening. But a, a lot of times I find there's some uh, hypocrisy mm. in that listening. Like sometimes I see myself or see others, they listen just to be, to appear to be uh, humble or moderate. So mm. it's another way of showing, you know, uh, I'm better. I'm better mm-hmm. than somebody else because I'm a good listener. So mm-hmm. that's not a true listening. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like in the Chinese setting, a lot of people just uh, almost like a, uh, because it's a socially accepted behavior. Mm-hmm. So you just act that way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you know people use that even to not to reveal or disclose themselves that much because mm-hmm. for strategic reasons because mm-hmm. they want to hear what other people let other people reveal their vulnerability, why yourself, you're holding all kind of thoughts, like mm. pretend that uh, you are smarter or wiser mm. than anybody. Wow. So, yeah, so in that kind of a cultural setting, 
you know, I think uh, the especially the new generations. Um, uh, I think we start to question that. Uh, but in my parents' situation, uh, generation, or even my grandparents' situation, they take it for granted. This is supposed how you behave. You know, you just listen, especially mm. in front of the uh, the authority, or even with other people. Mm. So when I came to this country, uh, I know culturally uh, this culture encouraged uh, speaking up. Uh, I hesitated at first in the classroom uh, when I went to college here, but later on I learned uh, a way that sometimes, uh, you know, uh, I remember some American friends uh, uh, told me at that time, if you don't speak up, no one knows what's inside you. So mm. there's a lot of incentive for me to speak up so that I can show other people what I know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, because otherwise people will feel you are incompetent or you are not capable. But you know, I feel like sometimes there's a room to really learn and uh, learn from others and understand others. But that behavior, uh, sometimes I feel like uh, culturally, sometimes you know, it becomes my second nature, like mm-hmm. in this culture, that it's hard to kind of uh, uh, be quiet and really genuinely listen to people. Well, it makes me think that, you know, this, this Lao Tzu's knowledge, how much, and I think this would have been difficult for anyone in an ancient world to come up with just how culturally relative it is that this, this knowledge that you had around being quiet and and listening in Chinese culture, Mm -hmm. but in a different culture that knowledge now was was holding you back yeah i feel like um if we're talking about uh, genuine listening uh Mm. understanding it from the depths of that interconnectivity Mm. Mm. everything seems to be natural but i feel in a cultural setting whether in china or in the west Mm -hmm. it's becoming uh you know now because the tendency in the West is to speak up, right? Mm -hmm. To speak up your mind. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people probably were taught that was the accepted behavior. Mm -hmm. Now people understand there's a need to uh, listen. But we are behaviorally, Mm -hmm. we are conditioned to speak up Mm -hmm. in the West, Mm -hmm. okay? But in the East, people were conditioned to listen more but then it becomes becoming, it's almost like using the uh, popular term nowadays, politically incorrect mm. to, uh, to speak up too much. Mm. So yeah, it's becoming but, mm. not authentic anymore, even if people behaviorally, they're listening in the, in the Eastern setting. Yeah, that there's this um, still this, this emptiness to it. There's not, this, there, there's not a sincerity to it, which it is kind of a prerequisite for having a real experience with other people, a, a real meaningful or intimate experience. And so there's still this hurdle that, um, you know, this is where, along with empathy, I think to be empathetic, you also have to be genuinely curious about the other person 
and not just being strategic or following a set of rules. Yes, exactly. So from that perspective, I feel the two cultures, we as human beings, we haven't arrived there. Mm-mm, you know, no. in the Eastern culture, as you said, uh, it's prescribed to be mm-hmm. the accepted behavior, but it creates a lot of uh, hypocrisy and pretension. Mm-hmm. While in here, uh, there's a lacking, so people start to promote it. But, you know, still people have to ask in uh, the Western culture whether we are just, uh, you know, sometimes we are genuinely curious, but still we are fix- fixated on ourselves. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's the, that's to me the, the, the beautiful revelation and looking at everything relationally, it's that things have become so skewed toward the individual and, Mm -hmm. and, and it's, and it's become fetishized in in so many ways that um, I think particularly when you talk about the politically, politically correct speech, that that's an example of that because, you know, of course, if we're being sincere, actively curious and and empathetic our language is naturally going to come across in a way that the other person is going to sense and and this is where i feel like Lao Tzu addressed this when when he said when society or when the people are at the highest form of Tao, things sort of just naturally happen and there's heart harmony Mm-hmm. And he said, and then like th- the next best type of society, there's then like these um, you know, rules and regulations that come up and things become kind of legalistic. And, and I think, you know, that's the area that we're waiting in with politically correct speech. It's not true harmony. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in the absence of Tao. You know, now we've got to create um, sort of these insincere ways we don't have real harmony, right? Like there's mm-hmm. not actual harmony between people. We're just telling people these prescribed ways to interact and and the spirit is completely lost. And and so going back to when Tao is present, which again I, I feel like that that genuine understanding that we aren't in this world as individuals, but as beings that are relating to each other. Mm-hmm. And, and when there's that understanding and the empathy and curiosity of each other that comes along with that, that's Tao. Now we don't have to worry about monitoring every word that comes out of our mouth because it's present. Yes, exactly. Exactly. As you're talking about this, I was thinking also about for example, the uh, you know uh, about the Christian uh, tradition, mm. uh, you know between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, there's a legalistic tendency on the Old Testament yeah. with all the Ten Commandments, right? Mm-hmm. All these uh, very intricate uh, rules of the Jewish tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the New Testament uh, seems to point in another direction mm-hmm. uh, of cultivating, you know, Jesus himself uh, is teaching others how, uh, you know, we are all uh, created, we're all connected in such a way that 
you know, once we realize that, uh, that connectivity is really the, uh, the root of love and mm-hmm. the origin so mm-hmm. that we can, uh, instead of like uh, uh, following, uh, you know, like uh, very legalistically following these norms, we spontaneously love each other. Mm-hmm. And through that, we are also fulfilling all these rules. So these rules are not going to be done away, but they are going to be fulfilled through an entirely new way of thinking and living. So I thought that was a quite interesting. Well, it's genius. Huh? It's genius. It's just like it's, it's this genius discovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, pragmatically speaking, I feel like at least you don't need uh, uh, you know the higher cost of uh, you know enforcing, right? Are you conforming to the rule or are you not conforming to? People are acting more spontaneously mm-hmm. uh, with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 Jesus' message it was all about what's in your heart. Yes, yes. And that's when we talk about, you know, using modern terms, when, when empathy, curiosity, and, and an understanding that it's not all about me, it's, it's, at, it's about us, it's about all of us here in this present moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, now that's, that's what's in your heart. Mm-hmm. And, and that that genius that when you're talking about the words that Jesus said of saying like, Hey, we don't actually have to follow this great big book of rules and regulations. If we just have this if love, we love in our heart other, for each other. And yeah. then all by itself, these laws, mm-hmm. we are following that laws. Yeah. And, and if you ever experienced a relationship where that exists, you know, it's possible that when, when two people genuinely have empathy for each other, when they're genuinely curious about each other, and when they genuinely love each other, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be disagreements or, or conflicts, but wow, is it a completely different experience when you're in a relationship like that versus one where it's like role-based? Right, right, right. I was wondering, uh, you know, certainly to... For the social, for the whole society to arrive at that state, uh, you know, I guess it will take uh, uh, time and evolution uh, to that level of consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. Personally speaking, uh, you know, going back to the or, our original question, so you realize uh, through mm-hmm. your own uh, uh, life experience that certain knowing is so fundamental. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, you mentioned the empathy. Yeah. Uh, are there other things now in hindsight, you think maybe things are related to empathy or maybe some other areas, You, you now you look back and you think it's very uh, essential? Well, I think um, it's, it's very similarly re- related. Mm-hmm. And I think this concept of of awareness, which I think also ties mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. therapy, that a, another significant goal of therapy is is increasing awareness. 
and and awareness in my mind is is an is in a very important form of knowledge. Mm, what is it? Can you help uh, us, our you know listeners, understand uh, you know、mm. what it means? Well, I think it's it's present in in many、um, traditions. So, you know, Buddhists meditation is all about cultivating. Consciousness and and awareness, and I think that that attention is also used in that same realm of 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 thought and knowledge. And in the psychoanalytic tradition, they would talk about cultivating insight,、mm-hmm. you know, having the, these insights into ourselves, which is also obviously awareness,、mm-hmm. mind mindfulness. That's another word that is used in different psychological schools and also Eastern philosophical schools.、Um, obviously, that's the Western word for it, mindfulness. But the point is, is that various civilizations and schools of thought have have put a lot of emphasis on awareness, consciousness, insight,、mm-hmm. and 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 not just. Here's the key thing, and I think this is what's tough for Westerners to not do it in a way where it's intellectualized, but it's actually a presence that you carry with you through your life. Hmm. 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 What's the difference? Like, say, without、uh, for Westerners,、uh, it has to be a what? A intellectual concept to wrap your. You know your your minds around.、Uh, what, what's the difference? What what does that、uh, look like or feel like? The awareness, awareness. Well, for me, the the main word is is embodied. When I feel、mm. I completely, I'm embodying my internal physical sensations. Yes, I'm aware of the outside world. I'm also aware of my Feelings and thoughts as I as my body my organism interacts with the outside world,、mm-hmm. and and I also have an understanding of the ground that I'm walking on that's unique to the experiences that that I've had as an as an organism,、mm-hmm. and 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 this awareness is as big as possible in the moment, so that as I'm experiencing. Life, there's this fully embodied presence of this awareness in the moment, like a being alert, more alert. Well, a- alert makes me think of trauma and like vigilance and looking、mm-hmm. on, looking out for something. Where awareness for me feels more of like a spiritual way of being in in the world,、mm-hmm. and so it's it's. Where I think alert makes me feel a little more separated between me and everything else. Awareness actually makes me feel more connected to everything. Like a, you are merged, like a,、yeah. you know, a drop of water in a big ocean or something. Yeah, like I'm I'm part of awareness that I'm part of everything. Where alertness to me feels like oh I'm the separate thing, and I need to be alert of like you know. Any threats and and things, and not that we don't need to be 
aware of those things, but I think with awareness, we're aware of that, but we're also aware of, of how we're connected to things too. At the I same see time. that, uh, that sense of connection. Uh, does the awareness, uh, have impact on your perception? In other words, like you were not able to see, but through some kind of a greater awareness, uh, uh, now you're seeing either cl clearly or you're seeing more than people who are not aware. Does that? Yeah. Yeah, for, for sure. And, and I think at the, the ideal state for, from my perspective is experiencing an integrated whole. Okay. Versus we can talk about, um, one way of talking about awareness as, as there being four zones of awareness. Mm. There's the internal zone where I'm just aware of my body's physical sensations. So yes. yep. what it feels like to breathe, what it feels like, mm -hmm. you know, to have to go to the bathroom, what it feels mm -hmm. like to be cold or itchy. Mm -hmm. There's an outer zone of awareness which is um, the, the literal shapes and forms of the things in the world, the objects that are mm. out here that we can, you know, sense them outside, outside of our bodies and existing in the world outside of us. Like a noticing, right? Sometimes uh, when we are preoccupied mm -hmm. with our own thoughts, we lose sight of like the things in nature, right? Exactly. So, okay. And, and then there's a middle zone of awareness, which is where our thoughts and feelings exist as an interplay between our organism and the environment. Mm -hmm. And that's what you were just talking about. So when, when our awareness is only on our thoughts and feelings, we might get disconnected with the outside world. Yes. We might, we might also be disconnected from our own bodies. Yes. We're immersed in our like ruminating thoughts, these right. things, you know, struggling with feelings that we don't want to have. Right. There's a fourth zone of awareness and that is our relational awareness. Like when, when I'm in, in the presence of another person mm. or being, the awareness of how we're relating to one another, mm. that it's, it's not just my thoughts and feelings. It's not just the other person as like something, an object in the world, mm. but an awareness that there's this relational energy that's transpiring between two people and, and how that is transpiring. How is that fourth and the third uh, connected? Are they similar, but they're, they're, I guess they, they're four, the fact they are, there are four mm -hmm. uh, means they are distinct. Like you mm -hmm. talked about uh, the middle zone. Uh, does that middle zone also in, uh, include the, th the, the one that you just talked about, like interconnectivity with other people? Or maybe they're the same. They're, they're different. So the, these categories, I mean, we are creating them arbitrarily only to enhance our ability to be aware. Yeah. But again, you know, they're arbitrary categories. And I think the, the, the thing that binds them all together is, is really our, our emotion and our emotion of how we're experiencing 
the moment. And so they're never, we can never draw completely separate lines. We mm -hmm. just create these um, models of description to try to use language to describe them. And so I, I think when, when you think about that middle zone of awareness where our thoughts and feelings are, yeah, that's a little closer to my subjective experience where when we're talking about relational awareness, we're talking about the intersubjective experience. So how I'm experiencing you and how you're experiencing me is probably reflected back to me in the things that you're saying, your nonverbal communication, and how our bodies intuitively, you know, react to that and, and create this relational exchange between e each other, how, how we're responding to each other intersubjective, intersubjectively. So, um, so to some extent, that is related to empathy we talked a lot about. For sure. Right? Definitely, definitely. So that's the zone where see, it sounds to me like the empathy happens, right? Mm -hmm. the, the fourth one, the fourth zone. For sure. Yeah, the, the, the empathy definitely happens in that relational zone. And so that's where if I am practicing my awareness, that can be something that I practice in that relational context of, you know, where's my empathy at in this moment? Like, am I really, am I talking at someone more like they're an object in the world, like a, you know, a, a, a shirt hanging on a coat hanger or am I talking with this person as if, you know, they're, they're some, they're a, a creature an organism, a lot like me mm -hmm. and they're feeling their own feelings and have their own thoughts. And more importantly, they've had their own years of life experiences that have changed how they see the world. And that's something that I can't take for granted that, they've lived an entirely different life than me mm. and, how, and how they see things and are grounded, literally grounded in the environment is unique to them. Mm. Well, I feel like the more we talked about it, the more I feel that's the, that, that zone, that awareness of the inter, uh, interpersonal, right? Interbeing, yeah, sure. inter yeah. uh, especially with the human beings, that uh, empathy really the holds the key to a lot of our uh you know holds the key to maybe even global uh, world mm -hmm. peace mm -hmm. to some way yeah. i, I yeah. feel like the more we have a deeper understanding of it and also we uh, more people start to appreciate understand that wow that's that's going to be powerful yeah and and i think that it's it's what the world needs more than ever right now. I mean, I, and I know what's that old, that old song, you know, what the world needs now is love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it's true. And, and I think if, if love feels too, I think for some people that feels too much, like it's too over the top. And if that's the case, that's fine. But, but can you replace love with empathy? Like can't, can't even, you know, tough people, tough minded people, can't mm -hmm. they have more empathy too? Like, can't you be tough minded and, and empathetic? 
The answer is yes. Right? Yeah. The answer is yes. Uh, you know, I think in love or things, I, I feel like these con uh, these uh, uh, concepts are all interconnected. I feel like nowadays we need a new set of vocabulary mm. to describe and to portray what you are uh, talking about here. Mm -hmm. So that uh, in our time, in our day and time, we are all, uh, how would I put it? I feel like ancient people, including Laozi, mm -hmm. uh, they, uh, or, 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 you know, or Jesus Christ, right? Mm -hmm. in, in the Bible, sure. yeah. uh, they describe it. Uh, a lot of their understanding, they have to use terminologies that are kind of understood by mm -hmm. people during that time, mm -hmm. right? We're in a different time now, and we're trying to, uh, you know, look back and uncover something, you know, is there something that stands the test of time? Mm -hmm. So we, we, we mm -hmm. you know, uh, things like awareness and empathy. But then during our time, I feel there is something that's happening that still is, you know, calling for a word that mm -hmm. can accurately des describe it, or at least something mm -hmm. that resonates with us. Mm. Well, what words come to mind for you? Uh, I, I don't know, but the way you describe it, especially mm -hmm. describe the, the fourth zone, mm -hmm. uh, that is, mm -hmm. I feel, what's lacking. Uh, for example, take the older concepts like love, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes love can be in certain contexts or certain uh, um, in, in certain uh, certain contexts, it can be very condescending yeah. to some people. Either we understand it, say, oh, that's a romantic love, because I, we know through history, you mm -hmm. know, I, I think at some certain people talked about that kind of romantic love no you know for example this uh upcoming valentine's day right mm -hmm. it's uh, mm -hmm. it's all about romantic love mm -hmm. or some kind of love that confucius talked about that uh you know you start to cultivate that through uh, uh your family like mm -hmm. your your parents right how mm -hmm. do you uh, get along with your siblings mm -hmm. right that kind of a love or in chinese terminology is ren right mm -hmm. R -E -N. Mm -hmm. and then there's also the christian love that universal love like because god loves you so we we, we you know mm -hmm. we are loving all others mm -hmm. okay so these are the historical terms that tries to capture uh the interconnectivity of people but now we are living in an age that because of the maybe historical baggage of these. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we, I know everyone, no matter what political uh, persuasions, are yearning for something. Mm -hmm. But that yearning, if we use the older terms, you know, people don't necessarily resonate with. Mm -hmm. But that yearning may be something like that, but maybe based on all these years of human experience evolution, we're arriving at a new understanding of it. That understanding is not, let's say, um, 
that kind of can respects the fact of the the, the people are connected. It's not just mm-hmm. like say, you know, I think a lot of the romantic love is like has a lot to do with the um, the possession. Mm, yeah, very yeah. possessive, or you know, the universal love sometimes feel like condescending in a sense, you know, I'm better than you. Mm-hmm. So you are, even mm-hmm. though, you know, you have all this sinfulness, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I love you anyway. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> or Confucian love, let's say, oh, uh, because we are naturally connected, right? We, we share the same blood. So mm-hmm. I love you. Uh, so I, I need to be more suspicious about the people outside my family circle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, which in reality, I think the Chinese tradition, you know, certain scholars say China hasn't had a chance to develop a mm. civil society is because, you know, that limitation mm-hmm. uh, of, of love uh, within mm-hmm. the family, even though Confucius and Mencius wanted to expand it, right? Use, mm-hmm. use the, uh, the law of analogy, like say, mm-hmm. if you're, Respect your parents, then you need to respect and uh, your 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 authority in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Or if you get along with your sibling, you need to be friendly with other people in the society. Mm-hmm. But uh, that you know that's their intent. What China's Chinese society they end up with is actually more family based as yeah. opposed to society based. Yeah, I, I've I've. I mean, I experienced it, and I think other people who I've talked with who have come from the West are very similar experiences. That when when you arrive in China as as a guest, wow, do you get treated so yes. well? And and what you realize over time, you're like, wow, they're treating me so much better than like the stranger on the street. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that that is a, an example of that, and and so it seems to me that the space you said the word civic, and that really stuck in my mind. That you know, r- r- religious because there's so many different religious backgrounds. Thinking about this new language, it, probably not using a religious connotation, and then you think about politically how fractured we are using political speech probably isn't going to be helpful but there was something about this word civic of Mm. really what it seems like we need is civic empathy Mm. because it has that that um new civic is sort of this new neutral space right it's it's we're talking about our shared space absence of like a public space public public space space, public space Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this this is the space where we need to have so much more empathy, and that means social media, um, the comments section on news articles. I mean, we need to think about well, where are we being public now? Mm. It's, it's mostly online. Yes. And and so, if we think about so, this is bringing this awareness into if I'm online recognizing you know, this is a place for this fourth zone of awareness, this intersubjective zone of awareness that 
if I'm bringing civic empathy into what I'm putting out there into social media and I, and I'm keeping that awareness up, that's automatically going to change how I interact with it. Yes. I don't need rules. I don't need a list of like, you know, how to's or anything. If I'm just thinking like, okay, this is a public space. It's not my space. It's a place to share with people of all walks of life with their own unique story. Right. And if I acknowledge that, well, what's my presence now going to be in this public space? If I'm, if I'm maintaining awareness of civic empathy, Mm. I don't have to agree with anyone, Mm. but at the same time, you know, if I'm being empathetic, then I'm also going to recognize, you know, every little difference that exists out there isn't an invitation to be a jerk Mm. Mm. or be arrogant. Wow. I feel it's, it's exactly what's needed. Uh, it's civic in the, not only in the national sense, right? It's a, in a global sense. Yeah. So because yeah. the way we are connected now, uh, as you say, you know, it's uh, through the internet, which mm-hmm. has supposed to have no borders, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, civic, okay. So I was wondering, you know, because who will enforce? So is it like we're somehow we're evolving this consciousness in ourselves Mm -hmm. that it becomes almost Mm -hmm. like a Mm self-governing in another sense? Because Mm -hmm. I think, let's say, uh, compare with the other uh, systems, you know, Mm -hmm. part of the principle of America, you know, from a national perspective, is self-governing, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, At some historical moment, some people believe that human beings have ability to self-govern themselves, Mm -hmm. right? That's why they created this thing. So I was wondering, maybe the evolution of that is, you know, it's like human species. How can they, do they have the capacity to self-govern themselves so that they are aware of themselves and also aware of the existence of others and and in such a way that as you described well i i think yes and that's the only way it can happen i mean obviously when you're talking about it being enforced i thought about another chapter in Tao Te Ching when it talks about rulers who roll up their sleeves yes yes and basically force their their will and how that's like it's not going to work so rather than enforcing i still feel like the best way for that to happen we have to start teaching civic empathy from the very beginning and this is where universal pre-kindergarten programs in Mm. the united states could go a long way and you have children of all different backgrounds and walks of life in the same classrooms and you're basically just teaching them empathy you're teaching them these skills you're not politically indoctrinating them you're not Mm -hmm. teaching them you know liberal or conservative values Mm -hmm. 
if anyone disagrees that teaching empathy is a, a, a bad thing, you're going to have to explain that to me because I, I don't see, you know, a problem with that. Yeah, because, you know, when you hear the, uh, between the lines of the, let's say, our polarized world, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, really, the uh, what, you know, left or right, they're saying is the other side that they really, they, they got me wrong. Or, right. I mean, that is a symptom of a lack of empathy, right? Yeah, exactly. And so if we're setting up children from the very beginning to learn empathy, teaching them this you know, zone for relational awareness, mm -hmm. they're going to be in the world in a fundamentally different way. You can still be a conservative. You can still be liberal. You can still be an anarchist. You can be whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you're an empathetic person, our society is going to be better. The world is going to be better. I can promise you that. I don't think that there's anyone who studies, you know, these significant problems that we have in the world that would disagree that we need more empathy in the world mm. and how many problems that would solve in our political space, in our social media space and, you know, the global space. Yes, exactly. So we've been talking about uh, empathy and awareness. Those are the kind of the foundational uh, you know, ideas that, you know, I think as we are discussing and reflecting on, upon, you know, history and our life experience, uh, you know, seem to uh, point toward, you know, a future, you know, we are, <laughs> that is emerging. I find it's very, very interesting. Um, uh, so we're about at the uh, top of the hour. I think these uh, terminology uh, that we talked about, those two concepts, uh, we can continue uh, because, you know, throughout the Dao De Jing, there are multiple places that we can continue to reflect upon those, uh, you, know, uh, you know, those ideas. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been uh, great uh, talking about these things uh, through our own, you know, experiences and, and also our ob observations of the the outer world. Uh, it's it's being uh, really fun. Great. I'm I'm glad that you enjoyed it, and I had a lot of fun talking with you too today, David. Thank you to the listeners for joining us and exploring Dao De Jing, while we are all trying to understand how to walk the timeless way.